grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, my brothers and my sisters in Christ. I did it, Mom. I got the job. This young man, this young professional, has been jockeying for this position for years. He has been showing a lot of promise. He's been getting pay raises and promotions, but he has his eye on this one title. Finally, he goes into that office, and he makes a big ask, and he gets it. And on his way to his car, he can't help. He wants to share his joy. He calls Mommy, and he says, Mommy, I got the job. And she says, that's wonderful. Now tell me, what is your new position title? And he says, I am an unpaid intern. Ridiculous, right? Nobody aspires to be an unpaid intern. Not even unpaid interns. It is a position that you accept as a stepping stone to something greater, right? Because nobody aspires, nobody desires that kind of, frankly, humiliating service. Nobody wants to spend the rest of their life making coffee runs for the office or making sure the fridge is stocked with drinks, or making copies for the rest of your life? Nobody would choose humiliating service, devoid of any recognition, right? Except for Jesus. That's exactly what he chose. Jesus had goals. Jesus had aspirations. One of his goals, of course, was to get to Jerusalem, David's city, it's called. In the verses before our gospel for today, Jesus has told his disciples, we are going to Jerusalem, and this is what's going to happen. The Son of Man, that's him, that's Jesus, is going to be tortured, spit on, flogged, crucified, and then three days later, he will rise from the dead. In the Gospel of Mark, this is now the third time Jesus has told his disciples exactly what is going to go on. And the last two times he said it, the disciples were clueless. I don't know what was going on. They were not listening. And we have no reason to believe that they were listening this time either. Especially when you hear James and John's request. They come up to Jesus and they say, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Okay, what do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. We're not calling James and John dumb or stupid. They were smart enough. They knew their Bible enough to know that something very special was going to happen in the city of David, Jerusalem. They knew that as they drew closer and closer to this city, something amazing was going to happen. Something was about to go down. Jesus was going to show his glory. And they were right. But they were wrong about how he was going to show his glory. But they come up to Jesus and they say, we want shotgun. We want the front row seat to your glory. We want to make sure we have our seats to your right and to your left. Positions of power and influence secured for us. We want recognition. And can you blame them? James and John are disciples of Christ. They've spent the last three or so years following Jesus, learning from Jesus, doing ministry with Jesus. 
Last week, we heard an unfortunate conversation with a young man who couldn't think to part with his wealth and follow Jesus. But James and John had done that. They left everything to be with Jesus. Can you blame them for trying to ask ahead of time, hey, is it okay if we get a little recognition for everything we have done for you? It's human to desire recognition. It's human to aspire for glory. The problem is they're not quite clear on what it takes to receive glory in the kingdom of Christ. So Jesus has to kind of set them straight. He says, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus says. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Bit of a tongue twister. How many times did Jesus say baptism? I think I counted six. But Jesus is speaking in metaphor, isn't he? Drinking a cup. This is a metaphor James and John would have understood. In the Old Testament, drinking a cup is often a picture of suffering. In the prophets, you hear about drinking the cup of God's wrath. It's not always a good thing, drinking the cup. And baptism. Those of you who have had a child of yours baptized recently, what a wonderful day that was. That was a good thing. But baptism is a cleansing. And if you're a pot or a pan and you see that scouring pad come out, you're about to get cleansed, but it might not be fun for you. Jesus spoke about his passion, about his suffering in another place as a baptism he was going to undergo. When Jesus says cup, when he says baptism, he is talking in a way that James and John can hear about what he is going to suffer. And he says, can you handle it? They say we can. And they were more right than they realized. Because James was traditionally one of the first martyrs of the Christian church. Later on, decades later, James would be murdered for his faith. John would be exiled for his faith, for preaching the faith. And he would die in exile. Their lives were not going to get fun after Jesus' death and resurrection. But they didn't know that yet. So it's a bold claim to say, yeah, we can drink the cup. Yeah, we can be baptized with the same baptism as you. But they're confident. They're confident that they will earn the recognition that they so deserve. But when the rest of the disciples hear about this, they are indignant. They are furious. They are angry. And you can understand why. Because they're disciples too, and they want recognition as well. James and John are like two soccer players that have just gone up to the ref and the coach and they've asked for the first and second place trophies before the game has even started. So if you're on the opposing team, how do you feel? No, dude, we got to play the game first. You can't win before we've even started. So they're indignant because they want recognition as well. And this is just human. We all want recognition. We all have goals. We all have aspirations. And to find out how important recognition is to each of us, look at what happens when you take it away. You want to find out how important recognition is to a father. Treat him as if his contributions to the family do not matter to you at all. You'll find out how important it is. If you want to find out how important recognition is to a wife, treat her as if her efforts to love and serve you go completely unnoticed, and you will find how important it is. 
Treat a student who is failing your class as if all the efforts they're putting in, even though they're not quite getting the material, are pointless because they're just a fool. And watch what happens for the rest of that school year. Recognition is important. It's in our DNA. We thrive on it. Mark Twain once said, I can live, live for a whole year on one compliment. We crave recognition. The desire for recognition drives a lot of what we do, doesn't it? That's what Jesus is reflecting on when he says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. This is how we work. You enter high school or college as a freshman, and you get bullied, you are hazed by the upperclassmen, and what do you say to yourself? When I'm a senior, I will never treat the freshmen that way. But then a couple years go by, and what happens? You kind of start to think to yourself, well, you know, that treatment my freshman year kind of made me who I am, so I'm doing them a favor if I repeat the same thing. Or I paid my dues when I was a freshman, I, I should help the, the newcomers pay their dues. You suffer through basic training, you suffer as a private, but you ascend in rank and you look back at the toxic leaders you had before and you say, I will never treat the people under me the way they treated me. But then you get that rank and you find out how easy it is to stop saying thank you when people bring you stuff, to just give orders, to not give positive feedback. You find out how easy it is to take your authority kind of be a jerk you even do it on accident this is how we work there is a food chain in human society and the rodents don't tell the lions what to do the lions are at the top they call the shots and a lot of us want to be lions if we don't see ourselves that way already and to get that recognition of being at the top of the food chain or to just be seen we will do anything it takes. It changes the way we approach our relationships, doesn't it? Because you see someone else and you know that they have what you want, recognition. You see, uh, start to see other people as nothing more than sophisticated vending machines. It's not a dollar that I put in to get what I want, but it's something and I'm going to figure out what it is. That's why popular marriage books will say if, you're, if your spouse likes gifts or quality time or words of affirmation, find out what it is and then use it. Buy your spouse gifts, buy them flowers, send them that text with that compliment. Why? Because happy wife, happy life. Because you don't want a problem waiting for you when you get home. You walk around and you obey the laws of the land and the police officers, not because you love your police officers, they're your best buddies, not even really that you love your local government, but because you don't want a problem. It's better for you if you do what they say. If somebody walks into your sales office, you get them a cookie or a cup of coffee, you smile, you get them to say yes a lot, you greet them by name. Why? Because you want to make a sale. We use people for recognition, for a transaction. You find out how important that is to us when we don't get what we want. When I hand a dollar to the beggar at the corner and he just pockets it and doesn't say thank you, 
And my immediate reaction is, come on, I did something nice for you, recognize me. Because then we start saying things like, you know what I've done for this family? Do you know what I've been through to get where I am? Do you know how much I, how much I contribute to this church or this community? Would we ever get that way with God? If we see our relationship with God as a transaction, and he's not blessing me in the way that I want him to, if he's allowing suffering in my life, isn't my first reaction to say, God, after all I've done for you, I go to church, I read my Bible, I talk to other people about you, don't I deserve your blessing? But what Jesus is telling us today is that there is a different and much better way to treat each other because of the way we have been treated by him. What did Jesus stand to gain by loving you? Nothing. Jesus' relationship with you is not a transaction in the slightest because we have nothing to offer. You see, we often talk about Jesus' suffering as what he did on the cross, that picture of Jesus bleeding and dying on the cross. But really, think about it. How great was it to be enthroned in heaven as the Son of God, to be hearing the praises of angels throughout all eternity, him who has no beginning and no end. But Jesus gave that up when he was born a human baby. He left his heavenly throne to come here, to live here. And the best day on planet Earth is far worse than the worst day in heaven. Life has nothing to offer that can compare to what Jesus was experiencing up in heaven, but he gave it up for a time. Every second, every minute of his life on Earth was dedicated to earning your forgiveness was dedicated to loving and serving you, though you had nothing to offer him. Because you and I had a debt to pay, a debt that we could never pay on our own. It was the price of our own freedom, and we were looking at a lifetime of slavery to sin and death. But when Jesus lived for us, when Jesus hung on that cross and shed his blood, he paid the price. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom, as the redemption price for you. Jesus looks out at this group here this morning and he does not see a bunch of people like gold mines that he can extract some goodies out of. Jesus does not love you because of what you can bring to the table. Jesus just loves you. He just serves you because of who he is. You and I, we crave recognition. But from the cross, we were recognized for the greatest thing you will ever hear. Because from the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. You are forgiven. You are cleansed. You are holy in my sight. No human's words will compare with what Jesus has already declared about you. Nobody saying good job for what you did the other day will compare with the well done, my good and faithful servant spoken from heaven about you. Because God, your heavenly father, is up in heaven and he's clapping his hands to see what you are doing for him, the way you are living for him. Because when he looks down and sees you, he doesn't see your sin anymore. He doesn't see your guilt. He sees Jesus' perfection that you are clothed in through faith. Nobody's opinion about you 
matters more than what God has already declared about you. You want to be recognized? You are already recognized with the most important label you will ever have, redeemed and forgiven child of God through Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says, Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Be done with the food chain. Be done with transaction relationships. Look at other people the way Jesus looks at you. Someone to love. Someone to serve. Are you in the army and you have some rank? That's great. But recognize that rank is a human invention. The army or your job has put people under your care, but God has put people in your life to serve, to love, to consider better than yourself. Are you the head principal in the district? That's great. Serve as the head principal in the district. Recognize that the teachers under your care and the students that they teach are all people for you to serve. See how Jesus changes the order of our relationships. No longer do we need to look at other people as people we can use to get clout or recognition or compliments. Instead, already being as good as it gets with God, we're free to just love, just serve, and not ask for anything in return. And not worry about overextending ourselves or giving too much or trashing our mental health. Because Jesus loves us and serves us first. That doesn't mean that you give up family movie night to go ladle, ladle soup at the homeless shelter. But maybe you find a different night that would work to do that. That doesn't mean that you give hundreds and thousands of dollars to someone who comes up to you and asks for it when you don't know their intention, when you don't know what they're going to use it for. But maybe you give that same amount to a reputable charity you found or to church. doesn't mean that you give up every hour of your day serving other people when you have mouths to feed at home, but that you do see your life as a life of service. Because you're good with God. You are already recognized for the greatness of Christ. You are loved, you are forgiven, you're redeemed. So you're ready to serve. You're ready to reorder your relationships with others because of the solid relationship you have with God through Christ. Amen.